Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Talk Radio Breakfast with Mike Graham. In for Julia Hartley-Brewer and The Times. Know your times. Good morning, it's Thursday the 20th of February. You're listening to Breakfast with Mike Graham, standing in for Julia Hartley-Brewer right here on Talk Radio. Coming up, Tony Blair uh, will give a speech later saying that Labour could be out of government for a decade unless it adopts new radical politics. Up next, I'll speak to former Labour MEP Claude Moraes. Also, Harry and Meghan will formally step down as senior royals from the 31st of March. They will no longer carry out duties on behalf of the Queen, but arrangements will be reviewed after 12 months. And in the next 15 minutes, I'll speak to Prince Harry's former royal butler and a Republican who wants to abolish the monarchy. I've already had one tweet from somebody saying, surely they'll just add an E to Royal and make it Sussex Royale. Uh, so something out of Pulp Fiction. And the head of Hofgom says, a £14 billion boost in education spending risks being squandered by poorly managed schools. Plus, heavy rains continue to fall on flood-hit communities in England and Wales. Around 1,400 homes and businesses have been affected by Storm Dennis. I'll give you weather updates throughout the show. Uh, it's coming up to five minutes past seven. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio Breakfast with Mike Graham. In for Julia Hartley-Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. We've been talking already this morning about some of the big stories on the front pages of the papers, including Ofsted worrying that schools are going to squander around about £14 billion worth of education cash, uh, which is going to be given to them in the budget, which is indeed happening in March, as we expected that it would with the new Chancellor. Uh, we've also been talking uh, to some extent about the uh, Tony Blair speech, which is coming up at 9.30. I'm in the company this morning, Michael Walker from Navarro Media, Andy Sylvester from City AM. Let's talk now to Claude Moraes, former Labour Party MEP. Uh, Claude, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Now, there are some people in the Labour Party who will say, why are we still listening to Tony Blair? What is the point of it? Well, I mean, you know, this thing about renewal and reform, I mean, there's nothing new about asking for that. I mean, we're just in the middle of a leadership um, uh, uh, debate. Um, we're going to have a new leader. Um, I don't actually see what the news is in this. I really don't. And, uh, you know, we're going to have a new leader in April. Um, they're going to um, have some kind of reform agenda. Um, and um, I don't see what the big deal is. I really don't. And, uh, is there any know, reason? Are you, are you saying we sh- you shouldn't be listening to him then? Well, I mean, I, I just don't see what the big deal is in, uh, in a former leader of the Labour Party calling for renewal. I just don't see what, what the issue is. Well, he's not I just mean, a former what, leader, is he? There's a sort of collective miasma going on in the Labour Party where nobody wants to mention Tony Blair's name, as we saw from the Channel 4 debate the other night when uh, all three contenders were asked who their favourite uh, politician leader of the Labour Party was in the last 50 years, and not one of them mentioned him. That's clear, and it's um, it's to do with issues like Iraq. It's to do with the history of the party, and that is that's what's going on there. But the issue is, if he's calling for it, and he's every right to. I mean, uh, former leaders have done it. Gordon Brown has intervened in this debate. Um, there's no. I mean, I don't see any surprise in it. Um, I mean, there's a lot of other things going on. I mean, I'm not really sure why. 
why this in in, in particular is, is a big is a big deal. I really don't. Um if Keir Starmer, for example, wins, um he's already spoken about um ensuring that um we look carefully at why we lost, why what we have to do to win. And it's it's been a long journey. I mean that is that is just so obvious. Isn't it about time they actually moved on from why they lost, though, and actually worked out what to do to win, rather than keeping on this kind of rather self-flagellating exercise of how terrible it all went? Absolutely. I mean, I'm a member of the party. I, I just want to see us um, be a really good opposition. I mean, just take the immigration reforms yesterday. I mean, it's our duty to um, tell the British public, you know, what is going on, whether whether they're being conned or not, and, um, you know, what what the government is doing, what they're doing wrong, and get on with uh, proposing something a bit better. That is going to be a very tough prospect. I mean, this is a government uh, which, as you could see yesterday from the, for example, the immigration proposals, is, is moving in a kind of slightly populist way. I mean, it was all sort of tabloid fodder, the immigration reforms. I mean, even people on their side are, are saying um, that the immigration, so-called immigration point system, um, it doesn't quite make sense. It's going to end up having so many exemptions as to be, um, you know, uh, really pretty much null and void. I mean, just take, just take one example. Um, they're talking about uh, solving the social care crisis. Johnson is talking about that. And um, everything about these reforms indicates that we wouldn't have the people to do it. now. But it's very um, easy, isn't it, Claude, for people to sit on the sidelines and, and, and have a go at something that is being proposed, where the Labour Party is simply having debates about who should be the next leader. Surely what they should be doing uh, is putting up a very strong opposition to whatever the government is proposing and saying, we would do this. And that's precisely what they're not doing. I mean, you're in danger of turning into the Lib Dems, where you just go, well, if we ever get into power, we'll do something. But until we do, we'll just waffle on about what the others are doing wrong. Precisely. We've got to be a decent um, and proper opposition. That's the point. So when we get a new leader, we've got to be the opposition that people want us to be. Um, that's what we should be in a parliamentary democracy. I think that's what people are crying out for. So that and even if you support this government, if you want, uh, say, for example, immigration reform, and, and I think a lot of people wanted that yesterday, we should have an opposition who comes in and says, look, you may have wanted this, but it's a bit of a con, you know, because um, we are going to forensically look at this. Now, that's not being, you know, the Lib Dems or whatever um, you want to characterise it. It's being a good opposition. And unfortunately, we're going to have to go on that path um, as a good Labour Party opposition. And I think that's, that, that is, that's an ambition that we have to accept. But but also we've got to reform and have the ambition to be the next government. That's going to be a long and tough road, by the way. And um, you know, if former uh, leaders of party are saying that, then you know, um, it, that is that is. Fairly and that's all part of the narrative, then, isn't it? So you should listen to any number of people and then decide which way you want to go. But but the problem is, it seems to be taking an eternity. Um, and if you are going to be the opposition, you should be being it now, surely. Yeah, but, I mean, give us a chance. I mean, we've got leadership... Um, well, you're nearly in, we're nearly in March already. The election was on uh, the 12th of December. Yeah, it feels a bit endless. <laughs> I mean, it really does, and we're not even there yet. It is, it's kind of... And it's got that kind of uh, feel to it. Fair enough, I mean, you know. Um, but, um, look, it's going to end in April. We're going to have the leader. 
um, you know, it's... Uh, Who's your choice for that? I, I nominated... Well, we had nominating rights as MEPs before we uh, left the European Union, and I nominated Keir Starmer. Mm. So um, he's ahead, and... Um, do you know, you what, know, his policy, do you know what his policy is on immigration? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it, you know, when he was asked about it, um, I accept that the it wasn't a fully formed answer. I get that. But I, I am really convinced... Um, oh, by the way, their analysis of what happened yesterday was pretty fully formed, um, that it was um, more tabloid order, order than... Yeah, but, uh, but that's just what I'm saying. It's, it's easy to criticise. It's easy to criticise, Claude, but there's nothing coming out which is an alternative. That's the point. No, but look, give him a chance. I mean, he's going to be leaving in April, and okay, we'll wait till then, shall we? One thing, one thing I would say about Keir, one thing I would say about Keir Starmer is that he is uh, forensic. He's an intelligent guy. I think he will, he will be pretty clear that when it comes to migration and immigration, there is a, a clear need for a clear policy from Labour. You cannot just criticise um, what the Conservatives are doing on the point system and replacing uh, free movement, which is the reality, um, without, without coming across with a comprehensive uh, policy. He knows that, and we'll have, to, we'll have to propose that after April, and he knows that. And I think he'll, I mean, you know, I think he'll surprise people. I think um, it, 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 he will make that transition, I'm pretty confident, um, if he wins. Of OK. And how's life for you after the European uh, experience and the, um, you know, it, the, the loss of the, 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 the MEP ship? It's, it's slightly surreal because one of, one of the things is that we've lost our representation over there. I was in, I was in Brussels yesterday. I was doing uh, some meetings with parties working socialists were still in that. And um, I, I, we've lost our representation, but we really aren't out of the EU yet. We'll be out in 2020. That's when we, when we're a third country, as it were. You'll see that the differences, you know, economically, we'll be a third country in terms of our borders and all the rest of it. So it does feel a bit surreal because we're kind of the only difference that uh, the MEPs, the Commissioner, and so on have gone. Uh, so it does feel a bit odd, and we're kind of everyone kind of points at us as the, as the difference. You're not doing that thing where you tell the wife that you're still going to work even though the job's gone. Oh, yeah, it's sort of... You kind of... I'll see you at the end of the week. Yeah, yeah, and it was a little bit like that yesterday. I was uh, I was in Brussels for this sort of meeting and it was a, a little bit like, yeah, going to work. And, uh, yeah, a little bit like that. But I've tried... Try, try and not um, get into the, the old patterns. You know, no, of course. I mean, it must be tough, though. But thank you. Listen, Claude, I've got to run. Claude Beret's there talking about uh, Teddy Blair, the future of the Labour Party. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. We're about to talk uh, to Nadim Zahawi, who's the Life Sciences Minister, because there's a now, uh, another new announcement today, £10 million boost for industry and researchers to improve patient care through new technologies. Uh, Nadim, very good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Tell us um, what this is aimed at and, and, and what you expect it to do. Yes, the life science industry is a £75 billion a year industry now in the UK. Um, employing 250,000 people. So this is re one of the sectors where we now have relative advantage in the same way that we have in financial services and uh, some other uh, sectors uh, that are beginning to, to, to develop in the UK. So what we're doing today is through UK research, research and innovation, uh, we're piloting a £10 million scholars, innovation scholars scheme 
where if you are uh, an academic at uh, a university doing some you know, fantastic research into dementia or into um, cancers, you can be seconded to a brilliant startup or a more established business or a third sector. Many charities work in this area as well of research, and you can work within that. And effectively, uh, UK research and innovation will pay for that. So the £10 million will go towards that. And you can apply for this money up to 300000 per uh, secondee, effectively. Um, it's a really important uh, time in uh, life sciences in the UK because of the brilliant scientists um, who you know, helped us sequence the genome, for example. Um, we now have a, an ecosystem in the United Kingdom that is simply you know, growing and is challenging um, the, you know, in terms of its uh, leadership in the world. And we're backing it even further. We're also announcing six opportunity areas, uh, opportunity zones, life science opportunity zones in Hertfordshire, in, in Oxford and Cambridge in Kent, in Wiltshire, and in Birmingham, uh, that is clusters of academics, scientists, businesses, uh, all working together, uh, researchers, to develop the um, you know, what the NHS really needs, which is you know, cures for cancers, dealing with dementia, and how we uh, ultimately get to a cure uh, for that you know, debilitating, uh, horrific disease. Um, so lots of really important work and we i want to make sure that we back it by allowing that interaction to get deeper between academia and of course startups and business and there's something called the global talent route is that so this is done sort of in conjunction with some of the uh, announcements made yesterday by pretty patel about the immigration point system yes yeah, so today uh, pretty patel and the science minister and the immigration minister will be hosting a reception at number 10 uh, for the global talent route, which is basically a fast track route uh, of, of allowing people from around the world, the best and the brightest researchers uh, doing all sorts of research, not just obviously in life science, to be able to come to the UK and be able to settle here and do their work here in our great universities. Okay, so I mean, are you competing now as a as an in, as an individual country with Europe, with America, with China, with you know Japan? What, what what's the what's the sort of scenario that you hope to see? We always have done, and we we um, have had fantastic uh, results. If you look at what uh, people have done in, uh, for example, uh, you know, the ability to sequence the the, the genome uh, has allowed us to. to spawn companies that are now you know, world beaters. Selexa uh, being one of those, um, it was bought by Illumina, which is the American side. It's now a $100 billion business. Um, and also some of our more traditional um, uh, uh, life science businesses, uh, you know, like AstraZeneca and GSK, who are doing incredible work in this area as well. So it's a combination of bringing back and bringing together the brilliant scientists, brilliant innovators, some startups, some larger businesses, creating those clusters where you get critical mass. So if you're a scientist anywhere in the world, you think, well, actually, you know what? I'll actually move to that area because I'll work on this project for the next three years. And if it works, all well and good. If it doesn't, there'll always be other jobs for me in this area because we now employ 250,000 people in life sciences in the UK. And I see Pretty Patel's managed to get herself into the papers this morning for a reason other than the immigration points uh, plan. Apparently she's a bit, a bit of a bully in the Home Office. I've known Pretty Patel for 25 years. Um, Pretty Patel is no bully. She's a team player. She's focused on delivering what the Prime Minister has quite rightly tasked us all to do is to 
take back control of our borders, deliver an immigration system that can flex to the needs of the economy, the points-based system that she announced yesterday. And she's doing a great job. I just think you know, some of this stuff, I haven't seen the particular article you referred to because I've been doing the media around this morning. Uh, but some of this stuff is, is I think, you know, we, we ought to just focus on the job in hand, which is delivering uh, for the British economy, levelling up opportunity throughout the whole country uh, to make sure that all those people who lent us their vote, as the Prime Minister constantly reminds us, we really deliver for. People up in Yorkshire are not too happy. In fact, one Conservative MP, Craig Whitaker, who's the MP for Calder Valley, uh, has said that there were 1,200 homes flooded by storm here last, last week in his uh, constituency. He says the government have been very slow at approving emergency relief funds. And this comes off the back, I suppose, of people wondering why Boris Johnson hasn't been seen out and about, you know, talking to flood victims. Well, Boris Johnson is focused on making sure that his ministers... I'm the business an industry minister, and I just want to say, reassure Craig Whitaker and the people of the Calder Valley that we are getting the money to the businesses that are affected, that are impacted, £2,500 compensation per business, as well as the... Uh, yeah, when, uh, though? Well, we're out the door as we speak. We did it. You know, we, we were working well, they got on it, it now. 48 hours. Absolutely. Businesses are getting the money as we speak, as well as individuals, £500 per, per home impacted as well as making sure that, whether it's Robert Jendrick at the Department for uh, Communities and Local Government uh, is focusing on making sure he, he operationalised the Bellwin scheme to get that £500 to those impacted families, myself in, in the Department for Business to get the £2,500 to businesses impacted. George Eustace, the Secretary of State for the Environment, is leading on this. What would you, your listeners prefer? Actually, a prime minister who focuses his ministerial team on delivery and getting the money out of the door or a sort of a, a, a media jamboree for a photo opportunity? They'd probably like something in between where at least he could have said something in which he said that, uh, you know, he was doing all that he could to help them as fast as he possibly could and he wasn't going to be criticised by one of his own MPs, probably. Well, I think Craig Whitaker was critical. I heard some of his comments about ministers working together. I can reassure him that we are all working together. I, I, you know, there's a thousand people from the Environment Agency that are working night and day to make sure they, they, they help those people. You know, a single home being impacted is one too many. In, in this current flooding, 20,000 homes have been actually protected by the investment we've made, 2.6 billion, to protect 300,000 homes. We've committed another four billion in our manifesto, which you'll see coming through as well. And I just want to reassure Craig and others: there's a thousand people working night and day, as well as the on top of that, the uh, emergency services, to make sure that we help people that have been impacted, as well as get the money out of the door, which is what Craig was quite rightly, um, you know, challenging us to make sure we do. Okay, Nadim, thanks very much indeed. Nadim Zahawi, Life Sciences Minister there, uh, talking about the money going to people who have suffered in the floods. If you're in one of those areas where you are expecting money from the government, I'd love to hear from you as to whether you've got it. Because apparently, as we speak, according to uh, the Life Sciences Minister, you're getting the money. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Maya Tuzi joins me now, though, my favourite Conservative YouTuber. Maya, very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Thanks Fresh for having me. Fresh from your trip to America, where you were over there sort of helping the Democrats um, <laughs> make them file themselves further and further away from uh, yeah. the White House, right? It was, it was a fact-fighting mission to yes. find out if the Democrats are more crazy or Labour. And what it, did you decide? The they're kind of competing they quite are. well against mm. each other. Um, yeah, funnily uh, enough, we were talking just before you got here about how the Democrats have kind of decided to eat themselves yeah. very much in public. And Mike mm. Bloomberg is there as a sort of slightly... <laughs> mini Mike. <laughs> yeah, Mini Mike. Slightly strange individual who thinks that by spending bucket loads of money uh, to, yeah. to appeal to people on the left, mm. that he's going to get himself elected in, in parts of America where uh, they just won't elect him. Now, he's, he's trying to copy what Trump or has been doing which is kind of basically attack on a personal level mm. it doesn't really work if it's not part of your character he's no. been like you know attacking Trump or everybody else or now Bernie yeah. it's just not in his character so it's a bit weird and also he wasn't helped was he at the start of his mm. kind of his most recent <laughs> campaign when he issued a dictum or it was said <laughs> that he issued a dictum to Bloomberg the news company mm. to not write bad things about uh, either him uh, yep. or any of the other candidates that he liked yeah I mean it's, it's just the, the mismanagement of all these campaigns and I I still can't... I've been talking to a lot of people in America about this. Um, there are some people who say, actually, Bloomberg could become the nominee. On the other hand, Bernie could still get it. So, But they're very two different people. I don't understand how this party works. I know. Works. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? Because there is such a vast and different mm. uh, organisation. I mean, my sister lives in, in, uh, in New York, works in, uh, works in New York, lives in Connecticut as well. She's very much part of that sort of centrist Democrat, mm. kind of relatively well-off band of people, yep. you know, who, will all, who would have voted for Bill Clinton, mm -hmm. who would have voted for Barack Obama, mm -hmm. uh, but who would find it quite difficult <laughs> to vote for probably Bernie Sanders. And whenever I talk to her, she says, you know, they've kind of lost their minds. They've gone yep. way far left of most of middle America yeah. and like all things you cannot get elected to the White House if you don't get middle America. And not just that, I was massively surprised to find out in New York that um, I thought here with the Labour Party we have problems with anti-Semitism. Yeah. I, I know there are obviously always people on the left who have issues kind of certain people but there are a lot of people in the Democrats who are anti-Semites. Really? Uh, yeah, but no one really talks about it That here. is surprising, yeah. Yeah, I was surprised because you know our mainstream media don't really talk about that sort of stuff um, because it's probably not in mm. our interest to know. No, but, uh, yeah. and also it's probably a slightly more complicated situation probably, there yeah. as well. It's not yeah. as straightforward as it is no. here. Of course here, uh, uh, you probably will be aware <laughs> you didn't miss much. You know, the, uh, the Labour Party... <laughs> Uh, bandwagon <laughs> continues to roll on. I, I watched a bit of the Channel 4 debate the other night um, and was laughing about their complete and utter inability to not only not say the two <laughs> words Tony Blair, yeah. but to not even actually acknowledge his existence. I was saying um, to uh, to Michael Walker there from Navarre Media, why not say, if you're Keir Starmer or mm -hmm. Rebecca Long-Bailey, look, obviously everybody knows that Tony Blair mm. was a very successful Prime Minister for the Labour Party, but one of the reasons I would never nominate him is because of this. Instead of which, they it's this awkward kind of shuffling of feet and pretending that he didn't ever actually run the country. Not just that, this is their time. They don't have to go complete blurite again, right. uh, but some sort of new reform. But uh, we've discovered that the, the four candidates, well, now three, uh, Lisa Nandy, even Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer, who kept saying we're not really far left, mm. they're now coming up with the same policies as Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. Uh, so it, they're just basically Jeremy Corbyn, but not... Well, she was asked whether she would change any of the policies that were in the Labour mm -hmm. Party manifesto for the last election, and she couldn't think of one. And she wants to abolish the monarchy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, did she not say she'd quite like to see Queen Meghan um, yeah. <laughs> in, 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 in place of, uh, of the current Queen? But it's a very bizarre thing that they're doing because, again. They're kind of irrelevant. Mm -hmm. um, Tony Blair's making a speech today, uh, which many of them don't want to hear. No. Um, and yet, <laughs> he's going to be advising them that if they don't 
um, absolutely reform. They mm -hmm. are out of power for probably yep. 10 years. He's probably right, isn't he? Yeah, he's right. I mean, firstly, the more he speaks, the more he's going to help the Tories. Because <laughs> mm. the more he, he's going to alienate like the secret Labour. agents. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not so secret. The more, yeah. Uh, but the, he's right that the party needs reform. But his problem is he thinks the party has to go back to 1997. Mm. The 1997 blurism was right for the time. Uh, but now you kind of, with, with the shake-up, with the kind of anti-establishment movements mentality across the West, um, you kind of need positive populism, basically, yeah. good populism. And yeah. uh, so that, if Labour go towards that way, which is, again, that means they have to support Brexit and everything else, yes. then they could win. Could they Could they invent perhaps the new thing? I've just thought of it. It could be kind populism. Kind. Because, you know, we've all been told to well, be kind. Well, we tried that in 2015, kind of gentler yeah. politics. <laughs> it's not working very well, is it? Because, I mean, funnily enough, one of the reasons we wanted to talk about yeah. uh, stuff today is because of this Ofcom move. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a sort of power grab, if you like, which was announced uh, a couple of weeks ago, well, a week or so ago, that they want to not only now... Um, um, regulate um, broadcast media. Mm -hmm. They also want to go into social media and they want to even go into possibly YouTube. Now, you've just celebrated yep. <laughs> uh, 100,000 subscribers. Yep. Congratulations. Um, it's probably 200,000 by now. I don't it's 122 know. now. Right? It's 122. <laughs> well done. Amazing. It's a great YouTube channel, by the way. Um, but what does it exactly mean if Ofcom mm. start regulating it? Because you've told me in the past yep. that there's already a kind of quite reasonable... Mm -hmm. um, way of regulating what goes out on YouTube. Lots Absolutely. of people who, who have been considered to be unpalatable mm -hmm, mm -hmm. have had their accounts cancelled, um, had their accounts demonetized. So what would Ofcom do? YouTube are already very strict, uh, up to a point where it's kind of like difficult to actually be on YouTube already. Mm. Uh, Ofcom, the problem with Ofcom, even with the mainstream broadcast uh, kind of game, uh, because it's too big and it's difficult to manage, what they do is they come up with these blanket policies. Yeah. And it just applies to everything and everyone at any time. Mm. And they're going to do the same, for example, with YouTube or other areas, blogs, where you can't... Because YouTube are still doing the same thing, blanket policies, yeah. where you can't say certain words, otherwise it would trigger yes. and your video will be demonetized or yeah. your channel will be deleted. Uh, whereas if they actually listen to the context, they'll actually realize you didn't say anything right. bad. Uh, but you can't do that because you can't have the manpower to like right. uh, people sitting in the office watching and reading everything. Well, I mean, you can't imagine Ofcom having enough people to do that either. So, no, of course so, not. So yeah. would, I mean, but would they be able to influence off, uh, YouTube and say, we need you to do this? Because I think the problem for a lot of mm -hmm. social media companies is that they're not based here. Mm -hmm. They are based in America, largely, yep. where freedom of speech is, is actually a thing yep. and people can say things that you can't say here uh, albeit that they might be horrible <laughs> so I don't really see how it would work yeah I think with YouTube they could make it work uh, because it's kind of based on regions or countries yes. uh, so the, the UK YouTube uh, so if you're watching it from the UK account it will be hit. Okay. But if you're actually watching it from the American account, it could be open. That but, it, but is it based upon, would, would it be based upon you know, their kind of sense of what they now regard as balance, for example, on radio and in television? Because I don't think they could do no, that. No, they can't. They can't really force my channel, for example, to force me to like bring someone from the left and from the right and they'll be like, now you have balance. Yes. I think they're just going to go with sensitivity mm. uh, in the name of uh, hate speech laws and all that. And that's going to be a big problem. But yeah. at the end, all it is, it's, it's a cartel and uh, it's, it's to defend their own monopolies. The BBC, mm. now the, the advocates for the BBC have been coming out for the past couple of weeks because of the news that we might actually abolish the licence yeah. fee. And the, the BBC, the, the people who love the BBC, the whole concept, is that they don't realise the BBC are actually damaging even local and regional yeah. uh, papers and uh, radio Absolutely. stations because they're all like a small, good well, local know, radio station. We stations. talked about this the other day. They have 61 radio stations yeah. Why? The BBC. What's the they point? They don't need 61 radio <laughs> no. stations and all of those local stations are strangling yeah. uh, the, the ability... Local 
of any commercial operation yep. to run a commercial station. And they shouldn't be doing it. No, absolutely not. And it, it, it makes sense. And this is what the whole cartel of uh, there are certain people, the kind of uh, very, very authoritarian leaning people in the country, mm. in the West, who want to centralize everything, including the media, so yeah. that they could control it uh, and they could control the narrative. And then, as we've seen, for example, Ofcom has no problem with. Uh, the broadcasters not reporting on what's happening in France or yeah. Iran. Uh, what's happening? No yeah. one's really talking about them. The BBC or Sky. When was the last time we heard about what's happening in Paris? Yes. Um, and uh, but if if the reverse happens, they will literally clamp down on YouTubers yeah. and bloggers and stuff. Exactly right. And what about this whole business of um, you know uh, censorship vis-a-vis mm -hmm. um, you know sensitivity? Because <laughs> you've got the people saying be kind after the whole Caroline Flack thing yeah. happened at the weekend. You know, Twitter doesn't seem to me to have become any kinder. <laughs> no. um, you know, I've had people argue with each other about the Dave appearance at the Brit Awards, <laughs> who called the Prime Minister a racist uh, on uh, uh, two nights ago. They're still arguing about it after I put a tweet out, sort of you know, saying what would it have been like if somebody had written a, a, a song called White, mm. uh, which was all about how great it was to be white i'd be very surprised if they got a brick for it you know i just don't think it would have happened and you know so you can say some things mm -hmm. um and be banned on twitter and you can say some other things which is just as horrible but not be banned it's funny when this dave person who had no idea who he was uh called boris johnson calling boris johnson racist is like calling the ocean dry yeah and it makes absolutely no sense mm. that's one problem the, the, the second problem technically it's a libelous <laughs> statement as well well it, it? it technically it is uh, i don't know that the because you have to prove yeah it's kind of difficult and the, the issue is it's not just the celebrities it's everybody like i don't know if um, people have seen the news that the nhs staff can now refuse treatment uh, to give treatment to patients if they feel that that patient is being racist or sexist mm. again that's another problem yeah so you're gonna have a proper uh, situation so, it's not where, so much universal health care for all as universal health care for everyone yeah, uh, but if, like. if, if exactly so for example if mark francois gets ill and goes to the a e and then some uh, nurse is a Remainer, yeah. said, well, Mark Francois is a Brexiter, so he's a racist. What about a murderer <laughs> who tries to hang himself in prison? Would they refuse to treat him on the grounds that he's a murderer? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. So, But what about, you know, because this is going to hit certain groups mm. uh, if, if it happens. Uh, again, Brexiteers, for example, yes. because they're automatically racist. Yes, of course. And, but what about, you know, the, for example, you know, certain other groups, extremists from the, the or the is, Islamist extremists or yeah. others, when they go to A&E. Right. I'm pretty sure they're still going to be treated. <laughs> it's absolutely incredible. We're with Mike Tuzi. Uh, he's talking to us about a great many things. Talk Radio Breakfast with Mike Graham. In for Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. Welcome back to Talk Radio. This is, of course, Mike Graham in for Julia Hartley-Brew. Don't forget, you can now watch us as well as listening to us. So for your delectation, you can now tune in to YouTube, you can get us on Facebook, you can get us on Twitter, uh, and you can watch the show live as well. It's streaming right now uh, as we speak, all the way up until 10 o'clock. Uh, I'm with Michael Walker, journalist at Navarra Media, Andy Sylvester, deputy editor of City AM. Michael, we've spoken about the Tony Blair speech a lot this morning. Um, Claude Moray's there saying, you know, well, so what? Who cares about what Tony Blair has to say? But he didn't have any great ideas as to where the Labour Party should be going, particularly. Yeah, I mean, well, obviously, yeah, Tony Blair, he's, he's, he's giving a speech. He won free elections. Sure, let's listen to his advice. We can take it or leave it. I'd personally be inclined probably to leave more of it than I would take. Yeah. Um, in terms of the direction the Labour Party is going to take, I mean, I mean, there is a difficulty here, really, because especially you're talking about the migration policy. Because Labour went into the last election with a policy which was they want 
well, either to stay within the EU or have a fairly soft Brexit. Yeah. And that fairly soft Brexit would have kept something a bit like freedom of movement. You know, it would have been mm. somewhat reformed, but you would have a fundamentally different immigration policy to that which the Conservative Party is suggesting. Now, the Labour Party could say, well, we, we still support something along the lines of freedom of movement. And I think they'd be, you know, I think it'd be perfectly coherent to do that, to say mm. we're not going to vote Well, it through. would be a position, at least, which they don't seem to have on it. But, but I suppose the problem for them then is that, given that this policy is going to pass in, in a form that looks quite similar to, you know, there is going to be a points-based mm. system by 2024. Labour don't really want to go into that election saying we're going to go back to the previous right. system. So I think it is understandable, at least, that that they would take their time to work out how do they respond to this new political reality. And their big problem, of course, is that many of their former traditional supporters have actually voted for Brexit on the basis that they want reform of the immigration system. So they have to, they, you know, they can't really say that, but they they kind of know that that's the, the elephant in the room. Yeah, it was interesting hearing Claude there talk about the immigration policy being tabloid fodder and, yeah. and populist. Um, there was a snap YouGov poll yesterday, which, you know, particularly one of the things that was setting Twitter off, as Twitter is, is often regularly much. set off, um, was about the English language requirements. Uh. And yeah, there are, you can make arguments either way. I personally think, you know, the idea that you have to be fluent upon arriving at Heathrow in order to get a visa strikes me as a little bit There's plenty of people bizarre, born but, here who, uh, but you who are work. English who is not fluent. <laughs> uh, um, I'm from Croydon, so yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, and there are, there are elements to that, and you can argue the toss either way about where that level will be set. But the, the, the British public, according to YouGov, has said, if you come in, you need to be able to speak English. And Twitter's losing its mind about mm. these these elements here. But the British public is seeing what Boris is doing, setting the facts on the ground. Labour need to respond to that pretty yeah. quickly. Yeah, I think so. Let's talk some more about Harry and Meghan. Graham Smith is here. Uh, he's the CEO of Republic, uh, which by, by its very nature, you would suggest, uh, means that he's not a big fan of the royal family. Graham, very good morning to you. Yeah, good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, this was an inevitable decision that would have to be made um, about Harry and Meghan basically being told, you cannot use the name Sussex Royal. Um, they will apparently lose all of their privileges at Buckingham Palace. Um, do you think, as, as I do, that this is in, any, in some way going to sort of weaken the royal family at some point? I think they have been weakened by this whole episode. I mm. think that... Um, I mean, you know, I think the Sussex Royal thing is a, a, a trivial sideshow, really. I mean, they're still HRHs, even though they've been told not to use them. They're still Duke and Duchess of uh, Sussex um, and will continue to use that uh, title. And, and those are public offices, really. I mean, they're, they're going to be using those for private profit now. So I think there's still questions to be asked, which are a little bit more serious than whether or not they can use the word royal. Um, it, it's a bit odd that a royal can't use the word royal, but a, a pub can. So <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, that's a quite, quite a good point. I suppose um, that uh, the pub isn't necessarily um, profiting off the name of the, of, of the well, royal. So. I, I don't know, but I mean... I, the, I mean, I don't go to a pub because it's got royal in the name. No, indeed. But I I, I do think that this is, is, this is going to cause them a lot of problems for two reasons. Firstly, they've lost two of their um, sort of star names, as yeah. it were. And they're still going to be over there in North America as a constant reminder, um, A, that the monarchy isn't all that good for the royals themselves. They don't necessarily enjoy all that uh, hassle of, of doing those engagements and so on. Um, and uh, as a kind of a, uh, a comparison with what the people that have been left behind. Mm. And with the Queen stepping back increasingly, I mean, she's 94 in April, and there's a good chance we're going to have King Charles on the throne uh, this decade. Um, you know, they've, they've been reduced to Charles and Camilla, William and Kate. Um, and I think... That and a bit of Princess is, Anne. Well, I mean, I think most people just, you know, I think most people younger than me, and I'm 45, uh, 
don't really know the rest of them that well. I no. mean, they've been pretty much in the background for a long time, and, mm. and they were talking about even getting Prince Edward back on the front line. I mean, that's pretty desperate. <laughs> they're going to have to rely on him. You haven't mentioned Andrew yet. Uh, well, and this is the other <laughs> thing, though. I mean, they, you know, aside from losing Harry and Meghan, they've got this constant thorn on their side of Andrew, which is not going away. Yeah. They've got, um, you know, the Queen is, uh, has not let up on supporting Andrew, you know, being seen with him and all the rest of it. Um, and I just think that, the, you know, the, the shine is gone. The, the, the notion that everybody um, is fascinating with them and, and uh, loves them, I think, is, is, is coming off. And I think that the reaction to Meghan and Harry's um, decision was pretty telling as well. A lot of people hostile to the idea of them spending our money um, even though people were sympathetic to them going. And I said at the time, you know, had they said, look, you know, we're, we're going because we don't want to do this anymore, we will now renounce our HRH titles, our Duke and Duchess titles, and we will start spending our own money on our own security and our own travel as of now, I think everyone would have been pretty happy for them. Fine, good luck, you know, see you later. But mm. they were trying to have their cake and eat it. And yeah, and it hasn't been handled terribly well by, by anyone, really. I mean, I think the yeah. Queen's actually had, had to, to put up with quite a lot of nonsense over the last year or so, and I think she's come out of it OK. But as, as I was saying earlier uh, to my guests here, it's, it's very difficult to see how there will be a great deal of public confidence once she's no longer at the head of the royal family. Well, I think the problem is that, I mean, you know, the, I think that the Queen's children, that generation, um, had all sorts of problems in the late 80s and 90s, and um, they haven't really lived up to the same sorts of standards that people perceive the Queen to have. Yeah. And the, they thought that the next generation, Harry and William, was going to be the sort of the salvation, and that is also not really working out. And I think that, you know, the Queen still remains the only person who people um, have respect for. Um, rightly or wrongly, I mean, I, I have my own views on her record as head of state, but I mean, mm. I, for whatever reason, she's been there for a very long time, and for the first sort of 50-odd years of her life, um, we were a completely different country in terms of our deference and our um, yeah. uh, unwillingness to... And it has to, and it has kind of reformed a bit, the royal family, hasn't it? But it just it's well, difficult to see it reforming as much as it needs to, really. I mean, the reforms have been pretty superficial. I mean, there's not an awful lot that's changed. I mean, it's, it's largely the same organisation that it was. Um, in certain aspects, it's, it's worse in terms of the way the funding works and, um, and so on. Um, it's, it's incredibly secretive. And, um, and they do routinely use public money for uh, their own private purposes. And we see people like Prince Charles... You know, taking a helicopter for a short flight to go and lecture uh, scientists on the need <laughs> to reduce flying yes. um, to save the environment, and I think that all this kind of stuff is where people are going to get, lose their patience, and they they don't see it with the Queen, they don't really mind, and, and to some extent that's no longer an issue because you know I don't want to be morbid, but I mean you know she's not going to be around for all that much longer, mm. um, and the attention is going to increasingly turn to. Uh, what's next? I mean, we've just recently launched a, a new documentary called The Man Who Shouldn't Be King, and that looks at Charles as um, Duke of Cornwall and the way in which he deals with or, or operates the duchy uh, as a private corporation. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I've, I've often said, I mean, it seems to me there's no excuse whatsoever in this day and age that the Duchy of Cornwall does not pay corporation tax. You know, it no. is a profit-making organisation. Uh, to all intents and purposes, it is a corporation. Yeah. Why the hell can't he pay a corporation tax like the rest of us? Indeed. I mean, it operates like a private corporation, and they, they keep on saying, uh, you know, depending on what the question is, they say, oh, well, you know, it's, it's not a corporation, it's a trust, or it's a... Yeah, no, it because is he says it is. ...between him and Charles, or... 
you know. Um, and he volunteers to pay tax. I said, well, how about it look yep. if I rang up HMRC tomorrow and Indeed. said, you know what, I've got this tax bill, but I'm going to voluntarily pay you 20% of it. How's that? Well, the reality of the answer is it's not a private estate either. It belongs to the Crown. So, yeah. I mean, um, really, it shouldn't be his at all. And um, this is one of the arguments, is that it should really be rolled into uh, the Crown estates and all the profits go to the Treasury. Yeah. And the, but, but, you know, we in our film, we've interviewed um, tenants of the duchy who are pretty angry with them in the way in which he treats them. Yeah. And, and quite a few of them we tried to interview and they were terrified of the consequences. Well, it's very feudal, it seems to me, which is not entirely yeah. in keeping with the new century. In which well, that's exactly what people were saying. Yeah, yeah. This is run like a feudal um, mm. fiefdom. And okay. is, that, is that out and about? Can people see that? Uh, we're currently screening it on a, a, at events around the country okay. um, and uh, it will be widely available uh, later in the year. OK, tremendous. Graham, thank you very much indeed for talking to us. Graham Smith there from Republic. I quite like to see that documentary because I think it's true. Uh, there is an awful lot of reform that is still required in the royal family if it is going to be uh, uh, in any way modernised. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.